accountants. It's time to make it count. My name is Freddie Bennett, former accounting industry executive turned entrepreneur, business owner, change maker, and Guinness world record holder. In each episode, we bring you the powerhouses from across the accounting world to help you discover how to unlock endless possibilities, turbocharge your accounting practice, and make it count in business and in life. Thank you for showing up for yourself today. Now, let's dive into another unmissable episode of Make It Count. Welcome to another show-stopping episode of Make It Count. And today, folks, I have got a real treat for you. I've been looking forward to this one for a long, long time. I am delighted to welcome Manoli Arrakis, Director at Malik McLean, to the Make It Count studio. Manoli, it is a pleasure to have you here. I am looking forward to this one. Yeah, thanks, Freddie. You've been on my case for a few months, so uh, you finally wrangled me in here, which is uh, pretty exciting. Well, as we always say here on Make It Count, many are called, but few are chosen. So, uh, so you are absolutely one of the chosen few, Manoli. But to get us started off, for anyone that hasn't heard about yourself or indeed Mallet McLean, tell us a bit about what you do. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, this is going to surprise a few of you or not surprise a few of you, but I'm not an accountant, <laughs> but I own an accounting firm. Seven years ago, I branched away from a career of banking. Uh, I was banking for about 15 years. And it was during that uh, career that I often heard people talking about accountants being trusted advisors and then on the flip side of that saying that they're meeting with their clients once a year. So I thought that's not a trusted advisor and and I thought I could do things a little bit different in this industry. So I branched out and joined forces with um, Mallet McLean down in Invercargill and created Mallet McLean Tasman. And uh, over the last five years, we've grown our firm almost 30 or 40% year on year. So in four and a half years, we created a $2 million revenue firm, which I think's up there is uh, one of the fastest growing firms in the country. And, uh, you know, it's been a hell of a journey. And um, and we'll talk a little bit later on probably about our, our recent um, things that we've been doing around mergers and things like that. But uh, it's been a, one hell of a journey. Amazing. And it, it sounds like one heck of a ride. And I've seen that firsthand. I know what everything that the, you guys do and uh, as part of the wider business truly is groundbreaking. But let's get back to, to the start, Manoli. So as you say, not an accountant, which is fine. That yeah. like the best people aren't accountants. Who would have thought <laughs> two non-accountants having a uh, having a podcast about accounting? Brilliant. Yeah, That's why we're going to give the insights here. But you talked about the career in in banking. Is it fair to say? Did you always want to go into this kind of like financial services profession growing up, or um, or was it something that was more of a surprise? Oh, it's a great question. I grew up in a in a solo parent household. Had a pretty tough upbringing on that front with uh, some domestic abuse and things like that in our house. And uh, but my mum broke away and retrained herself and got a mortgage at sort of fifty-five years old and all of those sorts of things. So for me personally, way back then, I always wanted to be financially secure. So I've done done a heap of jobs. I've always worked and always been scheming with different things over the years, but. Uh, it was when I went over to my OE, I missed the plane, which a lot of anyone who knows me will go, that's that's Manoli. And I ended up in Singapore airport 
for 24 hours. And uh, I grabbed a book at the bookstore before it closed because everything was closed down. And it was the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book. Mm. And I sat there and I read that book cover to cover over the, those that time in the airport. And I went to London and I said, right, I'm going to get to London. And I'm going to start buying rental properties. And so it was great. It was the good old days where it was three times the pound equivalent to New Zealand dollar. So I looked really rich in New Zealand, but I wasn't that rich when I was in the UK. And uh, you could borrow at sort of 100% or 90% LVR. Mm. And so we bought a number of rental properties. And that sort of got my interest then in, in finance. And then when I came back from the UK, got into banking, uh, which is just uh, was great fun back in the day. And we, I worked for ASB Bank for, uh, I think, maybe 10 years, did business banking and private banking, and just such a great um, training ground banking is. You know, they pump a lot of training into you, and especially around sales, or especially around financial awareness, especially around uh, supporting business owners um, and all those sorts of things. So it was really a bit of a natural twist to get into it, the accounting uh, side of things. And I think why I left banking was, Every year in banking, you start on the start line again at the start of the financial year. doesn't matter if you've lent out $100 million the year before and you, you've got the CEO award. The, ne- the, the very next day of the first financial uh, year, they say, right, do it again. <laughs> Whereas uh, I love accounting because it just compounds uh, on top of each other. Uh, you know, If you're growing all the time and you've got good retention strategies, then growth just compounds o- over time with accounting, which is great. Absolutely. And I think I love the way of looking at that. And you're right. And I, I know that financial corporate background very well, but both the positives and negatives, should we say, from that lifestyle. But but I know what you mean, the, the pressure that comes on with the start of every year, like you've got to go again, you've got to go again. But when you, you made that shift into, into accounting, was there was there ever any any fear in terms of whether you'd get the same fulfillment? Would you still be a high performer? Did any of those thoughts cross your mind? Oh, they sure did, especially within the first six months. I thought, I'm a high achiever at the bank here. I've got really good connections here in Nelson. This is going to be easy. I'm going to grow uh, and get new accounting clients really easy. Mm-hmm. First six months, I had zero. I was like, holy shit, what have I done? I've left a awesome career. I was you know, number one private banker at Westpac when I left and you know, all of these um, things. And I've taken a pay cut to come into this accounting gig and I had no clients mm. what uh, you know reflection you know that was all my grounding that I needed to do. I needed to do a hell of a lot of learning about it. accounting I needed to I found out really quickly that while people are really can be annoyed with their accountant there's still a lot of loyalty mm. and stickiness which excited me as well because I was like man if we get these people on board they're probably going to stay with us 10 years you know so um it was pretty um you know, heart in the mouth. I had two or three kids at that stage and I was the main breadwinner. So it was pretty tough those that first sort of six months. I bet. And uh, this feels like a perfect time to, to put in a, a Freddie phrase that I like to do sometimes on Make It Count. And I heard this one recently that knowing is the enemy of learning. Because apparently you can't be in a state of knowing and a state of learning at the same time. So if we're going into an environment thinking, I know it all. I know it all. I've got all this information. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to actually learn more. Um, so was there any kind of unlearning that you had to do in terms of, of habits, behaviors, thoughts that you had to say to, to unlearn from, from the banking world to bring into accountancy? There probably wasn't. But the factor, I think, was that banking was transactional mm. and accounting is relationships. 
And so what I figured out was I needed to build stronger relationships with referral partners. So that was what I was doing in the first six months was drinking a lot of coffee, drinking a lot of beer. I was about 85 kilos, now I'm 100. <laughs> you know, so it was uh, really putting the yards in. And then what I figured out was that in banking's a little bit of a scattergun approach, whereas accounting was I needed to find my five key referral sources. And so after I'd sort of done the scattergun, honed it in, after that sort of six-month period, I, I found out who I gelled with, uh, who respected me, who was keen to refer, like bankers, insurance brokers, lawyers, et cetera, and, and just uh, things just started snowballing after about that six-month period. And and I often tell clients or I tell when I'm mentoring people as well that want to quit within that first six months, mm. say, oh, I've done the wrong thing. I've changed jobs. It's, the grass isn't greener on the other side. I'm like, you've got to give it six months. You've just got to give it that time to go through all of those different emotional uh, roller coasters of, you know, of joy of leaving uh, your old employer and starting a new job to fear, to anxiety, you know, go through all of those things to, but you've got to give it a little bit of time. And, and so that would be sort of my advice to anyone there. I'll take a step back and then I'll ask that the, the key question. But when you mentioned those five key referral sources, just as as a tactical tip for any any accountants listening, are there any particular referral sources, different types of businesses, different types of, of source where um, where you found to be particularly fruitful? Yeah, uh, bankers for sure, and insurance brokers have been probably my biggest referrers. I have get a few from lawyers, but often when they get to hit the lawyers, they are already uh, into a transaction. So um, unless it's a matrimonial thing, uh, but. Uh, Bankers and, and insurance agents look at financial accounts. They ask questions when they're going through it, just like accountants do. So like I always ask my clients, who's their insurance broker? When did they last review their insurance? Uh, who's their banker? Do they like their banker? Do they like the bank they're with? Are they getting supported? Those sorts of things. So then a client can say, hey, look, no, I haven't spoken to my bank for two years. I don't, wouldn't even know who, the, who I ring now. Maybe it is a time for change. Same thing with accounting. I used to train and coach uh, my referral sources to say, look, when you're going through the books, get to accountancy, say, hey, look, um, who's your accountant? Do you have a good relationship? Are you open to maybe meeting someone new new in the space? And if they say, I'm happy with my accountant, just move, just box on. Uh, you know, that's fine. But if just ask that question. So I'd coach my referral sources how to uh, ask those questions. I think that's a key point any kind of business advantage that we're looking to get, if you make it as easy as possible for the other person, if, if you coach them, here's what to say, here's how you say it, you not only increase the, the chances of them doing it, but you increase the chances of, of being successful as well. So it's always giving people as much ammunition as you can to make it as, as impossible for them to fail as possible. 100%. And I have to, to ask as well, Manoli, so you've just spoke about when you were coaching other people or and saying, just give it six months, just keep at it. Did you ever have those thoughts going through your head seriously after the, the six months or, or beyond thinking, I say, what, what have I done? I could go back to that more glamorous banking world or anything at all. Oh, 100% I did. Um, I was very lucky at that stage. The firm I uh, decided to join and embark on this little uh, experiment, one of the partners there uh, had heaps of confidence in what I could do. And without having that mentorship of saying, 
stick with it, it'll come. I, I think I probably would have tried to chuck it in and, and gone back to safety. But so I think in those situations, you need to get perspective from someone else that's not in there because your own perspective, you can make up whatever story in your mind you want to at that point when you're in a little bit of pain. Uh, so getting some perspective from someone you respect and uh, is key. Definitely. And also, was there ever an element of imposter syndrome? As we've we've said that, um, you know, being someone who wasn't uh, a chartered accountant, they're going into the into the accounting industry. Did you ever feel like an imposter at all? Yeah, definitely. Uh, in the early days, because I think I probably tried to be an accountant in the sense of hiding from the fact that I'm not an accountant. Mm. Um, and and that took some time to to learn that it's actually okay to say I'm not an accountant. I can read a balance sheet and a, and a P&L and, and I can read, I've got financial acronym, but it's not, you know, I'm not going to do journals. <laughs> and um, once you re- have that realization, you go, but I've got all these other skills. I'm a coach. I can do a business plan with you. A lot of accountants can't. I can do budgeting, cash flow forecasting with you. I can do strategic planning with you. And what ends up happening is like I meet with my clients quarterly as a minimum. And um, I get the phone calls in the middle of the night or during the day saying, I've just had two people leave. And it's like, well, that's not an accounting question. Like, you know, you've had two staff members leave. Why are you ringing me? But that's the relationship that I wanted to bring into this industry. And that's what we've built our firm. I'm sure we do accounting. Half of our book is accounting compliance and the other half is, is advisory coaching strategy and all that sort of stuff. And, and we're on the field with our clients. So yeah, the imposter syndrome was definitely there until I had that sort of epiphany that it was okay to be in this industry. And I had lots to add, especially with clients. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And it's it's certainly the way of the world in uh, here in 2023 that we're in now that uh, it's like, say, Uber is the biggest taxi company in the world, yet they own no taxis. Airbnb is the biggest accommodation business in the world, yet they own no accommodation. It doesn't have to be the case anymore. I believe that mm-hmm. you have to have a certain label to be able to help someone. It's about your skills, your experience, the insights you can give, the questions that you can ask. And, and I'd love to get your view on this, but I find many times with clients and with accountants, as it happens, generally people know the answer. They certainly know the direction they need to go in. They just don't have the confidence, the insights. No one's given them the permission to take the action that they know they should be taking, but but yet somehow fear to take. Is, is that something that you found? Oh, 100%. A real classic was um, when I first started this journey, we did a seven ways to grow your business in my old firm. Mm. And all the old partners there go, well, oh, I don't know why that client's coming. I've been working with them for 20 years. You know, they they know we do this stuff. And, um, well, you know, they can come to us at any time. They know this. And we did the seminar. One of these clients signed up for a business planning session. And they're like, oh, this is weird. You know, why is my client signing up for this? We came out, um, we did the business planning session and we're high-fiving in the hallway with the client. Mm. The client was just pumped. And this client that was uh, looked around and said to the partner, go, we should have been doing this 20 years ago. <laughs> and um, and uh, where have you been hiding this guy? And uh, so it was it was really, really cool to see that you've got to uh, throw away all the um, belts and braces of today and, and embrace the future because it's, everyone wants this sort of stuff. Definitely. And, and in your opinion, what holds accountants back from doing more of that? Because as you say, they've, they've got the knowledge. They, yep. they have the ability to change their clients' businesses, to, to deliver those high five moments. But so many times we see that accountants are saying, oh, I'd, 
I don't feel confident enough or I don't know if this is the right thing to do. And you kind of feel like, say, only you just fully commit, just fully step in and, and make it happen. And yeah, what do you think really, really stops them from doing that? Yeah, well, if you think about the accountant's journey, they go to school, they go to university, accountancy is sort of rope learned around, you know, how to pull together financial accounts. You come out of university, you do junior work, then you do get a little bit intermediate and you start doing your CA, which is more exams and more rope learning. That's probably a journey there of about six years where mm-hmm. you haven't had any interpersonal skills or training. And um, so getting out of that comfort zone of everything having to be 100% right, mm-hmm. uh, which is what you've had to do for the last six years to, hey, it's okay if something's wrong. You know, I, I, in my meetings all the time, I'm like, I have no idea what the answer here is here, but we, we know I know there's something that we should be looking at. Mm. So let's go and find out. Let's create a project to go and sort this out. You know, um, so it's having the um, the probably the confidence to say that it's it's okay to not have all the knowledge. It's okay to say I need some help to, with with one of my colleagues to with, with this. And it's sort of saying it's okay. You don't need to know everything all the time. Mm. You know, I think that's probably the big one of the big roadblocks. And it's a massive irony, isn't it? Because it's almost the more mistakes that we make, the more human we appear, actually, the more successful we could become because clients don't want to, you don't build a relationship with a robot, at least not, not no. for a couple of years yet, at least anyway. But um, yeah. yeah, that the clients don't want that accountant who just has the expressionless face and just gives you the numbers and the straight facts. Obviously, in some cases, things need to be 100% accurate That's from right. the point of view, but from the relationship, from the advising, from, from someone who is, as you say, a trusted advisor, to be able to trust someone or be trusted by someone, you have to have that trust of yourself. And, and to have that trust of yourself, you have to be able to hold your hands up and say, I made a mistake. I screwed this up. I don't know how that works. And again, bring the element of humanity to it. Yeah. And even in uh, my coaching sessions or strategic sessions, a lot of accountants will be quite resistant to bringing other people into the room. I've always been a massive fan. It's like, mate, if we're talking, if, it, if this quarter is all about marketing strategy, Let's bring a marketing expert into the room and help us out with this, you know. Or if this is even if it's um, strategic planning, I'll grab John Skull and let's, you know, let's go and have a have a session with him. So, I think what we've just got to do as an industry is like we can be the conduit, we can be the bespoke in the middle there, bringing people in, but and we can still own that relationship and we can still have power in that relationship. But we're being open and vulnerable to bring other parties into the conversations, whereas probably accounting and sitting over a set of financial accounts and looking backwards, you had to be the expert and you had to be, and you're nervous if a client was going to ask you why you journaled out uh, $1,000 out of entertainment and put it as non-deductible. It's just a totally different way of working now, I feel. I think it's a lot more future focused as well. I always find it's difficult to get excited about the past. I usually get regretful about the past, but that's something for for another episode to make it count. But you, you get excited about the future. And it's so much of a traditional accounting. It's, a, it's looking at the accounts at last year, at the last tax year, the last financial year. But that's happened. That's to happen. That can't be changed. But helping your clients get excited about a vision of the future, that, about going on this journey with you, it yeah, helps from a sales perspective. I think from a relationship perspective as well, it really deepens the connection. Yeah, 100%. And I think um, we just need to just get over ourselves a little bit around, oh, it's embarrassing to now introduce business planning to a client that I've been working with for six years. It's like, it's like, hey, this is something cool I've learned. This is something cool I've seen. I've been upskilling myself. You know, let me show you what we do here. Mm. This is cool. I've got the background of your business. I know it inside out. 
and now I want to share this stuff with you. You know, so it's all there for us to do. It's all there, all there for the doing and and for the taking, definitely. Mm-hmm. And, and I wanted to, to bring things more into into the present day now, Manoli. And, and so you've talked about Mallet McLean, obviously a highly successful, highly prestigious New Zealand business. And you've talked about some of the growth that's happened year on year, you know, the, the, one of the, the fastest growing accounting firms in the country. What's that like, being the leader of a business like that? What challenges have you faced? How has that growth come about? Yeah, it's been uh, immense, to be fair. Uh, you should probably ask my team this, because eh? they think I'm crazy. You know, it's been, we've been growing so fast. We've, we use Connect, we use outsourcing. It's the only way to be able to grow at that sort of pace. Here in New Zealand, uh, finding candidates uh, that are skilled has been hard. But, uh, you know, the learnings I've had is that you've, it's, I mean, every leader says this, build a team of people that are smarter than you underneath you. And, and that's uh, you know, some of these old adages are so true. You know, you, you don't need to change some of these methods. You know, so I've got a wicked team under me. Uh, Louise, who's now a director as well, was there right at the start. She's handled all of the compliance side of the business and let me just let rip into business development. We do a heap of education marketing events. So mm. we do two or three of those uh, a month, which is a free event to come along and listen to us talk about people running a smarter, better business and, and teaching them how to do that. Having good mentors and good support is another key thing. I've been part of a coaching group for seven years, and that's been fantastic. I've had a group myself going. You know, they're really, really powerful because you, you've got like-minded people in the room. You get challenged, you have accountability and all of those things. As soon as you don't have any of those sorts of good people underneath you, good mentors and accountability in that whole puzzle, it can uh, fall to the wayside. And um, I, I think we did that really early on. I played a lot of sport in my life and believe in the team and the, believe in the culture of um, and having a mentor and a coach. So it was a, a really, really early on piece that we uh, implemented. Definitely. And I think you make a great point that even in the accounting industry, sometimes we fall into the trap of saying, I'm an accountant. I know business. I know numbers. I I could be a trusted advisor. I don't need a coach. I don't need accountability. I don't need support. But you're right. In any field, especially sport, it is the highest performers uh, that have usually got the most coaches that usually most in, in coaching. I always say it's a clear way to, without getting too soft and fluffy, it's a clear way to show that you love yourself if you're willing to invest in yourself. And um, I know the word love might be a bit too strong for a podcast for <laughs> the accounting industry, but in terms of our self-respect, how we see ourselves, how we value ourselves, the fact that we say, I'm willing to also back myself and make this investment because I know it's going to help me to level up as a person, as an accountant, as a leader, uh, as in all these positions, it, it is a bold move. And like you say, once you've you've made the investment, both in terms of time and money, they do think, shit, I need to actually step up now and, and hold myself accountable and, and do what I said I was going to do. And, and that's how I think that the accountability works so much. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, our accountability is pretty tough, though. We've got uh pay for dinner and drinks if you haven't achieved what you said you're going to do. And I know. That bill can be pretty hefty. I've, I've heard about it. Uh, I've heard about it. <laughs> definitely. So, uh, yeah, you've got to you've got to back yourself with these. Definitely. And is it right in saying as well that as a firm, you grew through through some mergers or through yeah, well, we so we were about two mil here in Tasman uh, of revenue, and um, saw the, the the crux boys, the crux accounting and advice, and they sort of started at a very similar time. Came out of another firm 
as well. I kept in touch with them right from the start because in this industry, it can be tough when you're starting out by yourself, winning lots of new clients. Some of the traditional accounting firms can be a bit nasty with that, which is a shame. But, you know, obviously they were getting hurt because we were taking so many clients and the Crux boys were doing the same. They'd won a couple of awards with Zero. We'd won a few awards with Zero as well. And I've just always really uh, liked them because uh, I sort of kept in touch and, you know, said, gave them a bit of uh, a bit of mentoring around, you know, don't worry about what the, everyone else is saying, just keep going, keep cracking on. And we decided together one day over a beer that uh, it's like, well, we're winning clients out of these other accounting firms and they're either coming to you or to me. What about if we join together? <laughs> and uh, then they've only got one place to go. <laughs> so I think those boys were about a million dollars of, of fees. So we smashed it together on the 1st of April. And, and now we've got Mount McLean Tasman, which has uh, all of the Crux team on board. Uh, we've got an office in Richmond and in Nelson now. Uh, which is cool. And it's not, in my opinion, it's not a one plus one equals two. It's one plus one equals five. Mm. Like we've just gone from next level with um, the skill set, the sharing of ideas, the sharing of leadership, different areas. It's just been, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Definitely. And I think I've seen firsthand the amazing power now of the uh, literally powerhouse of Malak McLean Tasman. Um, but I have to ask, in terms of coining a phrase of, of literally having to lead through change and bringing together two high-performing teams, but also teams with different cultures, different backgrounds, different wants and needs. How did you find that process? Not only kind of doubling the amount of, of responsibility, but but also in terms of the human side of change as well. Yeah. When we got together as, as the soon-to-be directors, we went and did a bit of a strategy session with a facilitator and, and came out with our with our why of why, why we're doing it, a bit of a position statement and all those sorts of things. So we did a lot of work around thinking about our team and we straight away adopted the Richard Branson model of around if uh, the owners of the business, which are the four of us, if we look after our team members, then our team members will look after our clients and our clients will look after our business and the business will look after us as owners rather than trying to like look after all our clients, look after our team and the business all at once and run around like headless chickens. So uh, we invested very heavily in, in the in the early part of our merger with uh, doing some grunty training with you, Freddie. Um, and we, had, we invested in getting our whole team involved with that. Uh, the only guys that weren't there were the admin team, and in hindsight, that was a it was a mistake. Uh, we should have brought everyone into it. But we had all of our client managers, and we had all of the directors in that. Uh, in our, it was probably about an eight week, nine week um, program, and that brought us together. And we just keep reinforcing that we want our client managers to run our clients. You know, we they are responsible for them. Mm. They're going to uh, have budgets. They're going to set their own time. They're going to do their own billing. All of those sorts of things. So we're, we're really heavily involved in that Richard Branson model was their characteristic there. I love that. And I was, I was going to ask if the Richard Branson quote that he used was just like, screw it, let's do it. Um, which, <laughs> which sometimes is uh, is a good approach to life, but maybe not not with so much money and people and their lives and everything on the line. But um, but no, that, that sounds like a really powerful approach. So we've looked at the present now. So what does the future hold? What do you, let's call this a three-parter. What does the future hold for you, for your business, and what do you feel the future is for, for the accounting industry as you see it? Yeah, for me, I've actually embarked in a – was part of the merger. I'm, I'm the CEO of Nelson Tasman, but uh, I negotiated a three-day work week, uh, which hasn't actually eventuated yet, but it will. And I've actually set up a new, uh, a new firm, a new business uh, called My Firm Broker, 
uh, with John Skull and Mark Jenkins um, in that business as well. And then my firm broker is all about accountants selling accounting practices. And we just feel like there's a bit of a, a need for that in the market. So for me, it's about leading Mallet McLean Tasman for future growth. We've got a target of around 5 mil revenue is where we want to take the business to. Mm. We want all of our client managers to be high performing, self-managing, running their own business units. Uh, where We want um, all of our CAs to be CPP holders. So we really wanted to invest in our people to feel like they have some ownership in the business. And so what was the last one? It was it was me. So that was my firm broker and the business and then the, business. the future of the industry. Future of the industry has to be advisory. When I first came into accounting industry seven odd years ago, the, the sky was falling, chicken little. Um, AI and Xero are going to take our accountants' jobs away from them. Well, what I learned really quickly is um, well, for a starters, I'm not allowed to even go into my own zero file. The girls in the office uh, tell me off because I just hit all the buttons and they go, you're stuffing it all up, Manoli. So zero hasn't um, taken the accountant's role away at all. It's actually enhanced it, but you do need to have some advisory piece over overlaying your business. Like you need to just be having good conversations. You just need to be asking lots of questions of your clients. You need to give them some education marking where it's webinars or whatever it might be, access to tools and all those sorts of things. So the industry is actually, what I've noticed actually over the last uh, seven years is all accountants are actually doing bloody well financially. There's lots of business out there and, and they're all growing and they're all prof- very profitable. So that's great. That's a good foundation. But now we need to go to the next step of being the true trusted advisor. And our accountants can own that space. There's no no one else better positioned. We know the numbers. We, we meet with them quarterly. We do some coaching with them. We do some wealth creation plans with them. You know, like all of that stuff. We really are that trusted advisor if we want to own that space. Definitely. And uh, there's no better showcase and example of, of owning that space, I believe, than you and uh, and the team that, uh, that you have at Malik McLean Tasman. And, uh, and not just because I work with you guys, obviously, <laughs> but um, if any accounting firm out there does want to be entrusted, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll say <laughs> for, for the advert. But, but I think you're absolutely right, Manoli, that the future is advisory. The future is there for the taking for so many accountants who who just want to step up, think differently, act differently, and, and be bold because they they have the knowledge, they have all of the skills. It's just about then taking that final step and and putting it into action. And I have to ask as well, going back to the beginning, Manoli, I guess a personal question. You, you talked and you shared that really powerful story at the start, and I thank you for sharing that around the chaotic upbringing and the desire to be financially secure in your life and now i'm assuming that uh, that you've hopefully hit that financially secure goal uh now in your position so i have to ask what keeps you going what keeps manoli driven and moving forward and wanting to set up groundbreaking firms like like my firm broker as well what motivates you now still now you've got that financial security yeah for me it's watching my team grow and members within my team and I want them all to be financially secure and, and I want them all to have um, a sense of ownership and purpose. And then the flip side of that as well is I want my children to be set up. So that's my motivation now is that, that they're set up and they've got um, you know everything that they need for the future for them, 
to flourish. You know, I think it's going to be tougher uh, than than what it was. You can't borrow a hundred percent on a rental property anymore. I think you've got to have about six thirty five percent equity, which is tough, right? So if I can have enough backing there, and um, then that's that's definitely the big motivator. I still want to work three days a week, though, Freddie. But I, that's that's another motivator. But one we day will, I'll get there. We'll make that happen. That's going to be like the spin-off series from Make It Count. It's going to be called Make It Happen, <laughs> and uh, we just help accountants achieve their goals. That's um, right. It's been. I've loved this. It's been such a powerful conversation. I knew it was going to be good, but it's even surpassed my expectations. I do obviously have one more question for you which obviously is the tradition here on make it count where a previous guest gets to ask a question of the current guest so i have your secret question that i have seen uh which i now need to find okay this is an interesting one (laughs) your secret question baloney is what has been your biggest failure as a leader and what did you learn from it Gee, that's a big question, isn't it? That's it's, a cracker. I had a classic one. We, my old accounting firm, before I set up Mallet McLean Tasman, we raced around as directors trying to do a bit of a rebrand of the business, rebranding, doing some really cool stuff, new websites. Uh, we we created that all our team members would have their own personalized business cards and the stuff we were doing was crazy. It was, and I think we spent like 50 or 70 grand on this big remodel thing and we're having all these meetings with people and blah, blah. And then the team called a meeting with us directors and said, right, we need a team. We need a meeting with you. And we're like, okay, right. And they met with us and they said, what are you guys up to? Are you selling? <laughs> and so we completely blew it. We completely blew. We spent all this money on a rebranding and our team were. Um, when we revealed it, they they were all so deflated anyway because they thought we were sitting there going to sell the firm. So my, that was one of my biggest failures. You know, we spent all this money and we didn't get the impact that we thought we were going to get. And what I learned is you've got to bring everyone along with for the ride. You've, mm-hmm. Like transparency is is the key. Um, you know, I've fully, I probably overshare now, uh, but it's like, well, you can't say you didn't know because you know I'm very transparent about. How much revenue we make, how you know, how many clients we've got, all those sorts of things with our team, and you know, bring people along with the journey rather than try to surprise them because the, the surprises often back backfire. Definitely, no, I 100% agree. That's a, a very powerful lesson, especially when put on the spot like that. So, um, so thank you, Manoli, and and also a huge thank you for being part of this episode and make it count. As I say, it's been a huge pleasure to have you on the show if people want to get in touch if they want to find out more about yourself about my firm broker about mallet mclean tasman where do they find you well they can find us on uh mmcatasman.co.nz uh they can find me on linkedin uh, i've got a bit of a profile on there and um and my firm broker.co.nz as well as, a, as if you're looking at uh listing your your accounting practice uh, at the moment, what we've got is a massive list of buyers, which is unbelievable. We launched about three weeks ago, and we've already got 60 people that have registered as a buyer in all the different regions around New Zealand. So there's wow. buyers there. Um, we've got a couple of listings in the pipeline, but uh, we're, more listings the better because we can match people up, which which would be really cool. Perfect. Sounds powerful. I know, uh, especially with yourself and the people involved in that business, I know it's going to be a huge success and uh, make a massive difference. But for now, Manoli, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you on the show and I can't wait 
to bring you back for for a part two very soon and and also to see the uh, the next steps in your journey uh, but for now thank you for being part of make it count thanks Freddie. Thank you so much for listening. I hope today's episode informed, educated, motivated, and inspired you to make it count for your clients and your business. Make sure you check out the show notes of this episode for the all important links. Please hit subscribe, share it with the world, and don't forget to give us a five-star review. We love getting feedback on this show and I'd love to hear which part resonated with you the most. Remember, you have got the skills, talent, expertise and experience to make a huge difference in the lives and businesses of your clients. The days of the bean counter are over. It's time to make it count. I'll see you on the other side.